0: This is a safe storytelling space. This is Eating Dirt. Do you even know how to save a girl when she's down and out? It won't come out to play. Do you even know how to save a girl when she's down? All you do is walk away. And when she down... It's
1: so cold. Did you guys know that it's cold? It's pretty cold. It's been like minus 45 for seven days in a row, maybe longer. It's supposed to end soon, but it's been a long few days of minus something frigid frostbite, everything. And no one's allowed to talk to each other anyways. Like you can talk, but you can't get close and talk. Everyone's in lockdown. So what a perfect time to just wrap myself in a blanket burrito and tell you a story not my story this is one of these stories that that I just go down wikipedia wormholes for I'll just be sitting there late at night and something will trigger a memory and all of a sudden before you know it I'm reading about nine dead hikers in the Ural mountains from 1959 and that's what I'm going to tell you about because this is one of my favorite stories and that sounds really awful to say. This story where nine people died is one of my favorite stories but I don't want you to think I, I take pleasure in the deaths of nine wonderful young people. I just find this kind of stuff, these mysteries, I just find them fascinating and I can't get enough of it and so now I just want to share one of my One of my favorite weird wormhole stories. So wrap yourself in a blanket burrito and just listen while I talk at you. Are you listening? I'm about to start talking at you. Are you wrapped up in your blanket burrito? Because you need to stay warm because this story involves a lot of snow. So, the Dyatlov Pass incident. I've heard it pronounced Dyatlov, but I've always just said it like Dyatlov, the Dyatlov Pass. Anyways, it happened in 1959 in cold northern Russia. February, as a matter of fact. Nine Russian hikers died in the northern Ural Mountains. They were all from the Ural Polytechnical Institute, and they were all experienced they knew what they were doing they did they were great hikers they loved being outside it was fun for them on their last night they set up camp on the slopes of kolatsyakil and that actually means a dead mountain in the mansi language the mansi uh, people are the indigenous people of the area uh, it's not known as kolatsyakil anymore it's been changed to dyatlov pass in honor of the group leader igor dyatlov but anyway they were all set up for the for a night of For a night in their tent, cozy probably, just like we are now, something happened. Something scary happened. It made them flee the tent. They cut their way out of the tent, and they left the campsite. They weren't dressed for the weather, and they all died. Nine of them died. There was ten originally. Nine of them died. So let's meet these people. I don't expect you to, to remember their names. I won't remember them unless I'm looking right at them, except for Dyatlov, of course. So I'll start with him. He was 23. Igor Dyatlov, he was the leader of the group. Yuri Doroshenko, 21. Lyudmila Dubanina, one of the two women of, in the group. She was 20. Georgi Krivonishenko, 23. Alexander Kolovatov, 24. The other women, what the other woman, Zenaida Kolmogorova, 22. Rustam Slobodin, 23. Nikolai Thibault Brignol, 23. Semyon Zolotaryov, 38. He wasn't in their, originally in their group. He's so much older, but uh, I can't remember. I read why he joined them. Can't remember why. And then there was Yuri Yudin he was 21 but he's the one that left before they started the big hike so igor yadlov like i said he was the leader of the expedition him and his nine companions classmates and friends they were going to they had to take on this challenging hike because they wanted to level up what that means is they were all known they were all accredited with being grade 2 hikers they had a lot of experience but they wanted to become grade 3 hikers. And at the time, grade 3 was the highest level of certification for hikers in the Soviet Union. And to get to grade 3, you had to successfully traverse 300 kilometers through difficult and often impassable terrain. And this stretch of territory in the Ural Mountains was known for being pretty difficult, and the weather in February was known for being pretty awful, unforgiving, and worse than the other months. So if they completed this, if they completed the 300 kilometers in this terrible, terribly treacherous territory, they would, you know, they would become level, level three. I lost my train of thought. That happens a lot. But I still like to tell stories. And I don't really understand it. Like, I I like to be outside. I like nature hikes. And I like discovering things but i don't under i don't i could never make myself do that i guess cuz it's not it's not fun for me i wouldn't want to put myself in such a dangerous situation but i mean each person in this group was experienced and they were talented and they were prepared and they actually enjoyed these kind of activities and it's something they really wanted to do and they began their trip by taking a train to the northern town of ivdel and from there, they took a truck to Vijay, which is the last inhabited northern settlement in Russia, at, in this part of Russia. So they arrived, um, they arrived in Vijay on January 26th, 1959. They purchased food and drinks, and they had some sleep. They got their energy boosted up before they began their hike on January 27th. So after their first day of hiking, one of the group had to turn back, and that was Yuri Yudin. He had heart troubles and joint troubles and I heard rheumatoid arthritis. His health was what was his health issues essentially saved him from, you know, the same fate as his traveling companions. On January 31st, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. In a wooded valley, they hid food and equipment that they'd be able to use for their turn their return trip. So February 1st, the hikers started to move through a pass known as Kolatsyakil, the pass. And it's now theorized that they planned to get over the pass and make camp on the opposite side, but because of worsening weather conditions, snowstorms and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and accidentally moved west. Um, and so when they realized the mistake, they decided to set up camp there on the slope of the mountain rather than move downhill to a forested area, which would have uh, offered some shelter from whatever weather might have happened. Uh, Yuri Yudin, he speculated after that Igor Yatlov probably didn't want to lose the altitude they'd gained or he wanted to practice camping on a mountain slope. Either way, the choice of where they made their camping spot really proved to be a fatal mistake. And before the hiking actually began. Jatlov told friends and family that they were hoping to finish everything, complete the trek by February 12th. And when he was done, he would send a telegram to let everyone know that they were back and safe. But he also told them, if you don't hear from us on February 12th, please don't worry. Because he knew that unpredictable weather or unexpected uh, path changes could make a trip take longer. So nobody worried at first. Nobody even sounded any alarm bells when there was no word from Igor on um, on February 12th. But by February 20th, when there was still no word, the Hikers family members started demanding that the authorities begin search and rescue mission. Unfortunately, it was just a search mission. Nobody was rescued. On February 26th, the tent was found. Mikhail Sharavin is the student who found the tent, and he said... The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. He said the tent had been cut open from the inside. There was nine sets of footprints left by the people wearing only socks or a single shoe or even barefoot. You could follow these nine footprints leading down towards the wooded area. At the forest's edge, under a large Siberian pine tree, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. There they found the bodies of... Krivonischenko and Doroshenko, shoeless and dressed only in underwear. The branches on the tree were broken up to five meters high, and that suggested that one of the hikers had climbed up to look for something, maybe to see like how far the tent was or if, if there's any other clearing that they could get to. In between the pine and the where the tent was, the searchers found three more bodies, Jatlov himself, Kolmogorova, and Slobodin. They all died in positions suggesting that they were attempting to make their way back to the tent, maybe looking for, you know, warm clothes. The remaining four hikers took more than two months to find. They were finally found on May 4th under four meters of snow in a ravine about 75 meters further into the woods from the Siberian pine tree. Three of the four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that some of the clothing um, that they were wearing had been taken from... uh, from their fellow hikers so it's been like Dubanina was wearing Krivonashenko's burned and torn trousers and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket and that seems really strange but people have theorized that the group that that group of four had found the had found that when their when the other hikers died they took their clothes to try and stay warm can you imagine what Yuri Yudin was thinking as his cl- friends and classmates were found? i would I would think he would have survivor's guilt and maybe like trauma of of it could have been me. Ugh. So an inquest was started after the first uh, the first five bodies were found, and a medical examination found no injuries that might have led to their deaths. And it was concluded that they all died of hypothermia. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but the medical examiner didn't believe it was a fatal wound. There was an examination in May as well after the four bodies were found, and that sort of sort of made everybody confused. It, it shifted the narrative from, oh, this was just natural to, oh, did something suspicious and supernatural happen? Three of the hikers had fatal injuries. Thibault Brignol had major skull damage, and Dubonina and Zolotaryov had major chest fractures. According to the medical examiner, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparable to that of a car crash. But the bodies had no external wounds associated with the bone fractures. So it it was like they'd been been pushed major, heavy amounts of pressure, cracking their bones but not damaging their skin so all and all four uh, four bodies found at the bottom of the creek in a running stream of water had soft tissue damage to their head and face so like dubenina was missing her tongue her eyes part of her lips as well as facial tissue and a fragment of her skull skull bone and zolotaryov had his eyeballs missing and Kolotav, kolovatov was missing his eyebrows and this was all thought to happen you know after death so maybe animals but people still were uncertain there was speculation, of course, that the indigenous Manzi people were responsible. Like, as if they had attacked and murdered this group for encroaching on their territory. And several Manzi people were actually interrogated. But the investigation found that the nature of the deaths didn't support this hypothesis. Because only, like, only the hikers' footprints were visible. And there was no sign of any hand-to-hand combat or struggle. And the Mansi people were never ever known to have been violent in any way. And this was just people grasping for explanations. And sometimes people, well maybe a lot of times people use the, you know, the indigenous people as scapegoats. And this was, you know, they definitely tried in this case. So there's a lot of theories as to what happened. But this is the fact. This is what they know. This is what they knew for certain. Six of the members, group members died of hypothermia, and three sustained fatal injuries. There was no indication of any other people nearby on Callat Sek- Sekiel, apart from the nine travelers. The tent was ripped open from the inside. The victims all died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot, Strangely, there was some radiation found on one of the victim's clothing. That's never really been explained. But it was there. And the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by human beings because the force of the blows had been too strong and, again, no soft tissue damage. And soft tissue damage post-mortem. And hmm, no survivors. At the time, the official conclusion was that the group members had died because of compelling natural force. The inquest officially ceased in May 1959 because nobody could find anybody responsible. Like There was no guilty party. And then the files were sent to a secret archive and the discussion was over. I think the fact that everything was so shrouded in secrecy made people start to speculate and that's where so many of the conspiracy theories started coming out like the fact that it could have been aliens or the fact that it could have been government sound experiments causing them to go insane and start ripping their clothing off and running through the snow Um, people weren't satisfied with the explanation of compelling natural forces and the fact that everything was kept so secret just it just it didn't work People wanted answers and they made up their own answers. And one of those answers that got a lot of traction was the Yeti because the hikers all had cameras or at least some of them had cameras. And there was somebody, some of them were keeping diaries too. And so um, there was no, uh, nothing suspicious in the diaries, but the camera pictures from the hikers. There was one picture where they're, it looks like they're hiking through just a path, but there's a, a visible blurry figure off to the side and people were sh- were certain that's the yeti. <laughs> so I mean I I don't think it was a yeti, but I mean I guess it is an interesting an interesting theory. So what do you think? Fascinating story, boring? Do you ever get hooked on something and then just go down Wormhole after wormhole, obsessing about something. This is one of those stories for me where I'm just I am fixated and I can't ever stop thinking about it. It's always there. Well, not always, but you know something triggers me and then I'm down the wormhole again. Got to read about Diatlov and all his hiking companions. Got to read about the avalanche. Got to read about the theories, even though I know and believe that it was an avalanche. I still want to read about all the the conspiracy theories. It just it's so fascinating, endlessly fascinating reach out to me and let me know if there's any of like, these wonderfully weird stories that have just lodged themselves into your mind and you just can't stop thinking about them no matter how many years it's been. No matter how many times you've read the stories and looked at the pictures and watched the documentaries, you just can't let go and you'll you just keep going. I want to know what you're obsessed with. I mean, to a point. It has to be a cool story. It can't just be like I'm obsessed with boots. That's weird. Thank you to Arlie Cox for the use of the theme song How to Save a Girl from her 2020 album, Letter Kite Sessions. Remember, stay off the mountains. Do you
0: even know how to save a girl when she's down and out? and won't come out to play. Do you even know how to save a girl when she's down? You do and roll